Dear listeners, welcome back to this latest episode of the podcast, The Way Out is In. I'm Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I'm Brother Fabhu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Plum Village, a student of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. And Brother, today we're going to have an eclectic mix of topics because actually you and I have not seen each other for about six weeks. And so we're going to be talking about what happened over our summer. So we're going to be going, talking from everything from summer retreats at Plum Village, weddings, family, and just to top it all, a little bit of civilizational collapse. The way out is in. Brother Fap Who, how lovely to see you. Likewise, very lovely to see your face, Joe. So it's six weeks. I don't know how I survived without you for so long. <laughs> and, um, and dear listeners, we're, it's very good to be back sitting in the sitting still hut of Tignat Han in Upper Hamlet, Plum Village. We're sitting, as usual, round his kitchen table with our producer, Kata. Hi, Kata. Yeah, so, brother, when I was at school and we'd go on summer holidays. When I came back from the summer holidays and I attended my first class, we always had to do an essay on what happened to us in the summer. And, uh, and I was sort of, I sort of, I sort of hated it actually, because normally I didn't do very much at all. And I was sort of a bit of a lonely child. So anyway, let's not go, let's not go straight into all the psychological flaws I have. But, um, but there was something also about it, about a time for reflection about actually what did happen. So, so we thought that we would um, do that today, which is actually, we haven't seen each other. And we can learn a little bit about what we each did, but also, you know, being away from Plum Village, um, what did we learn? But brother, maybe we could start off with you telling us a bit about Plum Village in the summer, because this was the first time in more than two years that actually Plum Village was fully open after the pandemic. So tell us a bit more what your experience of summer in Plum Village was. We have been closed. That means we don't have um, a lot of people coming weekly. And so we also felt that we were missing that, like missing that nourishment. Um, so this year, when we finally reopened, one of the biggest um, uh, question is how long should our summer re retreat be? Because normally it is four weeks and we are one of the very rare monasteries or practice centers with monks and nuns who hold a whole program for teens and children for a long period during the summer. So I think a lot of other places do it for the weekend or so, but we traditionally do it for four weeks. But we realized that after two years, we have to rebuild the muscles in the community, the muscles of offering. So just our teacher always tells us the Sangha is a living body. So we should have mindfulness on our capacity knowing our strength as well as our weaknesses and as well as where we need space to 
to develop. So this is mindfulness. When you live in a community, you have to start to observe your members, observe your community from not just Upper Hamlet, which is the brothers and men, but also Lower Hamlet and New Hamlet. And there has to be a harmony. So we did a lot of meetings and we came to the conclusion that this summer we will host two weeks. There were some reaction. Uh, some monastics said, oh, that's too little. There are so many families waiting to come. But after more sharings, we all realized that we do have to take it slow and know how to re-engage or else we will burn out. We will take more than we can handle because not only that we were hosting this family retreat for two weeks, but before that, um, June, June, May, April, and March, we have already been reopening and having different groups come in. So when it came to the summer retreat, I think for me, the greatest nourishment was just hearing the children again in Plum Village and hearing the teenagers' um, conversation, their interaction, their youthfulness re-enter into the monastery. And that is always a source of nourishment for the community. And it's so important that we do continue these family retreats because we take care of the present moment, we take care of the past, but we also want to take care of the future and seeing that the children are also of the future. We want to plant seeds of the sense of safety, the sense of well-being, of peace, of a community that they can take refuge in, as well as nourish their seeds of mindfulness. And for me, it's always, um, it's always remarkable to see how mindful a child already is and then how much they take in by just the environment. And I am a child of Plum Village. So I started coming to Plum Village when I was only nine years old and that has really shaped my my life. And for the monastic, you know, we live a life of um, not having a family. We are celibate. That's our vows. Um, but nevertheless, there is a seed of parenting in us. So the summer retreat is always for us to also reconnect to the seed of care and love. So I see the brothers and sisters who um, volunteer to be part of the program for the children and the teens. They get to be elder brothers, uncles, aunts, um, father, mother figures in a way. And for some, it's so nourishing for them. And I, what I get to also witness throughout my years as a monk is also getting to see a child grow from six years old into um, a young adult. So I've known, I, I, I know some young adults who are now in university who was part of my children program when I was in the program. So it's, it's a beautiful witness of transformation and and evolution of a, of a young person. So we did that for two weeks. Um, so after that, we as a community decided to take August off for the whole community um, just to have a space to rest because we also um, had many COVID cases in our community um, and, and we had planned all this. So we had rooms for 
um, quarantine and we had a, uh, how to care for our brothers and sisters. And so, so there are some days like um, I would take care of three tasks because one of my brother has uh, is in quarantine because he has some um, some symptoms or he had COVID. So we knew we we with that we called it the sangha eye. We saw that there was a potential of um, that there's going to be care that we needed to attend to through for our residential community. So we just knew that after the summer retreat that we will be exhausted. Um, we will be very nourished um, by taking care of our service seeds our we call it bodhicitta the mind of love the mind of service but at the same time we knew we would be quite exhausted so we needed that space to just rest and some of our monastic even went to the eiab to support their two weeks retreat and great bodhisattvas um and then we had our break. So so we'll come to the break in a moment, which is the bit you're so excited about. I had a break. Yes. Um, but just going back to um, to the summer retreats, and, and just to start off with the wake up group, which was, I think, it's people up to the age of uh, 35, 35 mm-hmm. um, 18 to 35, I think. Yes. I, I'm just wondering, brother, you had 500 young people here. Just what was your experience about what's on their mind? Because you've been holding these retreats for decades. Yeah. And and society changes. And I imagine you see that what's front of cent- and center of people's mind changes. And I'm just wondering, what, what was your sort of overarching sense of how these 500 people are, what they're worried about, what sort of state of mental health they're in? Just I, I know it's a very general question, but, but just what, a bit of sensing actually would be really good. I was um, the head of a Dharma family, and my family was uh, people of color or BIPOC. And it was um, so beautiful just to be able to come together, first of all, and to see the collective awakening that is manifesting a little bit everywhere. So there is a sense that there is suffering, a lot of suffering in the world. And Everybody is trying to find that inner peace, that inner stability in order to cope with the situation that everyone is facing um, in different walks of life. And when I was speaking to um, my family members of, 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 the, of the retreat, uh, one of them shared with me that there is definitely a spiritual awakening that is manifesting in society. Maybe it's have always been there, but it's more um, mainstream in a way now. And people are seeking a place to learn how to take care of their inner journey, their inner world, the suffering that is manifesting. And so Plum Village, as one of um, um, the communities of a spiritual refuge, our retreats were filled up so quickly because there's this need, this thirst. And um, what I realized is that everybody, what, what was nourishing for me was that everybody also wanted to walk a path together, a, pa- a spiritual path together, which is community. So suddenly what our teacher has been building and teaching, which is like community is one of the most essential cultivation that we need in our times. 
And we need a collective awakening, not an individual awakening. So a lot of the young people, um, we were holding space for each other to to acknowledge our happiness, our joy, our aspiration, and then the collectiveness to hold the suffering together. My family, like every session we had together, we, we were able to cultivate a safe space for members to to cry. Like we just held sessions of deep sharings and knowing that it's safe to acknowledge our suffering and let the emotion manifest and not um, be overwhelmed by it because there is a collective body holding it together. And that's very powerful. And, w- and when you talk about a family, brother, you had to, can you describe what, what, what happens in Plum Village? What's a, fa- what's a family mean? Yes, um, I think this is another genius creation of Thai, which is... Um, in 500 people in a retreat, it's, you may think um, that um, when you hear the, the, the number 500 that everybody's just going to connect with each other. But we also have to create the conditions for connection because everyone is different. Some of us uh, are more socially engaged. Some of us are more introverts. Some of us are more shy. Some of us are more courageous. Some of us like silence. Some of, some of us like talking. But so how do we create a safe environment for connection? So what our teacher has invented is Dharma sharing families and each family holds up to around 20 members or 23. We try not to pass 25 and it would be um, hosted by at least one monastic facilitator, main facilitator and, and with other monastic to support. And for us, monastic is also a training. You get to see how your elder brother and sister facilitate a group. So that is a training for for the younger monastics. And we get to support each other also. And there is um, um, a real suffering of loneliness in the world, as well as people who feel that they don't have families, those who come from broken families, that even that word is maybe difficult for them to to think about. So the magnificent that uh, that Thai created is calling these Dharma families is to start to reintroduce the sense of connection. And because for us, we, we have a biological side, which is our root, our blood family, but we also say we have a spiritual family. And sometimes to me, my spiritual family is one of my biggest refuge um, uh, where I would talk more about my suffering, talk more about um, my aspiration than my own blood family. And that's just the reality. And so so the spiritual family can also play a role in allowing us to make sure that we know how to connect because that is also essential for a human being. We, we need to know how to connect. So in the retreat, we would um, meet almost every day, at least for dinner or a sharing. And we build and we work together. We have service meditations. So my family, we took care of the meditation hall and we had a facilitator to, to lead. So every, every time we, we worked together, it was so joyful. And there was a sense of us just connecting and bonding. And we were from six different countries in my family. Um, 
and then a different ethnicity and just singing songs, um, just hanging out and then going deep into also sharings and, and meditations together. And brother, one of the things you mentioned was um, about the importance of the monastics knowing your knowing your limits, and because the needs of the world are so great that you can get just pulled apart by it. And um, I was just thinking about, about Plum Village because a lot of people don't really recognise that actually it's not like your monastics going about doing your meditations and your your sort of looking for insights and teachings and training but actually you do everything here <laughs> it's not like you have this separate staff that look after the accommodation that do the washing that make the food that do the tax that do the all the bureaucracy that do the building that do the upkeep i mean actually you know there're not that many of you and you not only have to run plan and run the actual retreats themselves and be present for them and do the teachings and hold this but meanwhile, you're doing everything else. So I think I think it's really important for the readers to recognize that it's actually your your minds get pulled in different directions. And unless you are being mindful and, and focusing and able to stay sort of centered and fresh, that actually you would not be good for anyone. Mm. Yeah, knowing the limits is a very important practice. Sometimes um, Thai teaches us like we have to learn to say no, even though... It is something that we know we can help. But if we don't know how to keep our own balance, then like you said, then we also lose ourselves. And this is an ongoing practice for me, learning to say no. Um, I'm learning to not hand out my emails. <laughs> I'm learning not to give out my contacts because um, a brother shared with me this and he, he shared with a lay friend. It's like, if... I give you my contact, then I have to always follow up with the hundreds of other contacts, then I won't have space for you now. So by not giving you my contact, when you come back, I'll be really present for you, but then I will be present for the other friends that are here in Plum Village. And when he said that, that was a deep insight that I was like, wow, I need to practice this. Yeah. And brother, I, you talked about the popularity of like the family retreats. And, and for me, it felt a bit like uh, the Glastonbury Music Festival, because when I used to go to Glastonbury, you know, you would have to know that the tickets would go on sale at 9am on this day. And basically within half an hour, they'd all be sold out. Um, and I, I know that people were phoning the Plum Village uh, administration office and saying, well, can you tell us when we can when the bookings open for the summer retreat and the people would say, well, it's on Saturday, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. And then they said, and what time is it opening? Cause actually it got sold out within. Within uh, 45 minutes of the, uh, for the children program of upper Hamlet. Yeah. Wow. Which is first quite... time ever. <laughs> first quite... time ever. And, and it's, it speaks to, I think, first of all, of course, Plum Village was shut for two years, but, but also people, recognize this as a as a refuge and and i'm just wondering brother just going back before we go to our break yay <laughs> but just going back to the to the um wake up retreat um did you notice a because you talked about people feel that there's a sort of a spiritual awakening starting to sort of germinate but often that comes because the suffering is greater 
And and I'm just wondering whether there was any sense that you got generally about whether young people are feeling greater suffering, whether they are sort of seeing sort of war and famine and inequality and climate change and biodiversity loss and whether whether that cumulative sense of what we're facing is actually settling into their minds. Of course, 100%. And they see that um, they can already see the suffering coming and they see that it's going to be them that have to take care of it. And um, this this is also, we, we call it a responsibility, but it's also an energy to be motivated in order to develop um, a spiritual stability. And I see now more than ever, we need this, um, this inner stability for us to face the suffering or else we are just going to lose ourselves. We're going to panic. We're going to get overwhelmed and we all um, get worried and we all get anxious and then we don't do anything. We also collapse once all of those emotions are not being um, recognized and cared for. And that is why um, for me, this has to go also into education. This has to go into the mainstream of well-being. It's not, it's not Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is one of the beautiful manifestation of our um, diversity, but the well-being and the sense of um, community and taking care of each other's suffering, it's, it needs to be highlighted more. And I think this is why our wake-up retreat for the young people also um, reach its um, capacity very quickly in the registration. And we, we still managed to squeeze a few in <laughs> um, when we, we, we wanted to, to cap it at like, I think like um, 400 something, but it reached 500 and we, we do the best we can. And, and everyone was so har- um, harmonious in, 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 in the retreat. Yeah. So, time for summer break. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, brother, why don't you tell us um, where you went and what you did? And then we can sort of, because we want this to be about not just what we did, of course. Yeah. But about being away. We, You're in a different environment. Mm. You see things differently. Mm. You bring the practice with you. And also, I, I had my experience of that. So, so is what we did. But also, what did we learn? What, was, what yeah. came up during this time? So I had the opportunity to go home to visit my blood family, my immediate family, my father, my mother, and my sister, my elder sister. And it was leading up to her wedding. So there was a lot of excitement there. And there was also a lot of um, organizing to do, um, mainly on her part. But also me. Sh- I wanted to show up as a great support, as a younger brother. And... What 
I had to first learn to do was to rest. It is such a practice to slow down and and to just like make your give yourself permission to not look at the emails and to smile to the emails and say. I don't have to answer this right away. Who who said I have to answer this right away? And I, I start to realize that we have created um, a culture that everything needs to be immediate. Everything needs to um, be done right here, right now. This is the opposite of living happily in the present moment. This is like living be, unhappily in the present moment <laughs> and running after something, right? Yeah. And so I was recognizing these habits come up because I have also just I just stepped out from a retreat of 700 people and suddenly it's just me and my family and also just just resting uh, coming back to my body and that was really um, really cool just to um, come back and practice the foundational practice which I always teach in the retreat. And just now doing it, making sure I walk the talk, and making sure I know how to rest, um, making sure I know how to sit, um, making sure I know how to enjoy a cup of tea, and just I I started to recognize my mind like, um, oh man, we should have done that better. Wow, if only we we thought of that. You know, my mind would start to create all of these different scenarios of how a better retreat could have been done, and then I thought about all of my. Um, facilitating that I, I led and 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 then just to see the judgment come up for oneself also and just saying hi to all of these voices in my mind and smiling to it and just saying great I'll do better next time but let's not live in that past yeah so brother just to step in because actually that chimes so well with um, one of my experiences this summer which was so, you know, very similar to you. So I, I've um, sort of, I've been in full-time work until a couple of years ago, full-time work for 40 years. And and you sit every day sort of all the stuff that needs doing. And then even on the weekends, sometimes having to think about things and or process things. And this summer, I really felt the same, which was there were days where I had nothing to do. And I really struggled with it. <laughs> Because I'd wake up and I think I need to be doing something, and 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 realizing how, even though I've always said I want more space, I need more space. That when I actually get the space, I'm not quite sure what to do with it all, and um, and it, you know, and I and the nervousness I was feeling at having the space that I was not filling, and and it's such a classic thing because because. I recognize this as, a, as an issue for others, <laughs> but I was really feeling it myself saying, why is it that I can't just drop everything and just sit here mm. and be completely happy in this moment? So I, I think you and I, you know, we're not alone in this. Mm. I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a symptom of this society that we live in, which is always the opportunity to do more. Yeah. Another thing I discovered is um, I grind my teeth. So I went to see um, an osteopath. Is that correct? Yeah. Osteopath. Yeah. And he said, brother, do you know you grind your teeth? 
I'm like, no, no way. I I knew I I snore, but not grinding my teeth. <laughs> and he said, yeah, actually, you do it quite a bit. Um, and I can see it in the mark, and I can see it when I adjust your jaw. So I, he said, um, I would highly recommend you get a night guard. So I I got my night guard. I went to the dentist, did the whole thing, and when I started to wear it, just within two days, I can see the mark. From my my under my underbite, uh, and this gave me more awareness of my own self, where I do clench my jaw quite a bit, even throughout the day. So even now, like we just enter into Rain's retreat here, and the spirit of it is like resting, right? And it's learning to just come back and and learning to ease into the foundational practice, develop and nourish your your daily practice, and. Just this walking meditation before um, lunch and then before this podcast recording, I see the tendency of my jaw um, coming together and just biting down. So I am starting to learn to ease and cultivate my mind so that I can release worries, release projects. Even though I know I have to do something, but cultivating the mind to know that in this. Very moment of walking meditation is for me to rest, and it's only an hour, and allowing me to truly rest in that walk. And this is a practice, and this is a reminder that you have to recollect. And mindfulness also means to recollect, to remind yourself. And the body is always your teacher. So that was a new discovery for me, and I am actually very grateful for that discovery. And every time throughout the day, I used to always pay attention to my shoulder. So now I start to pay attention to my jaw, how much I bite down on. So I hope that all of us we can um, tune into our body, and that's why the first foundation of mindfulness is the body, because your body is also an indicator to you where there's tension. Where you're carrying um, weight, suffering, anxiety, stress, etc. Mm, thank you, brother. So I'm intrigued because I want to know what it was like to see your mum and dad again. And the reason is because you are, I think, is it 33, 34, 30, going on to 35, 34 years old, and you've been um, abbot here for I think 11 or 12 years. Yeah. And uh, so, in a sense, even though you're a young man still. You sort of have a sort of fatherly sort of responsibility here, which is that you know people come to you, they see you as a sort of, um, as in a sense the, a sort of a head of the family in the sense that you are the abbot, even though it's a sort of consensual community. So, what was it like going home to your mum and dad, where you are the young son, learning to be a son? Um, you, I, 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 I let go of my idea. Like I'm, I'm a monk, and I have to teach. I just say I'm a son now, and of course I'm a monk. That doesn't go away, right? But when I come home, um, just feeling the embrace of my parents is always very important. That is one of um, the practices of Plum Village is hugging meditation, and I always do that whenever I see them. You know, especially um, when I'm away. So. I always make sure that that hug is very mindful. It's not just a pat, pat, pat on the back, right? It's like I'm embracing you, like thank you, like deep gratitude, and then um, just spending time. 
And and interestingly, because I was learning to rest, right? Uh, my parents also wanted to know how Plum Village was and giving them the full download as much as I can. And then uh, my dad was very interested in like how I'm doing as a person and not being shy to also show my vulnerability, right? So I think I can speak for many friends. Um, there's always, we always want validation from our father and our mother, and we only want to show off the the success. And so, and my dad is a monk, so he also has a spiritual dimension, and he also practices um, very deeply. And I'm sure this when I tell people my dad's a monk, there's going to be a lot of questions. But that's that's another podcast, another, another episode, <laughs> all on its own, brother. Yeah. You've, given, you've given the game away now. Kata, note it down. We're going to do next one. Um, um so. And, and he's been a part of the Plum Village tradition. He didn't ordain with Thai, but he, he's been here. He was the condition why we know Plum Village. And he always is very interested and he wants to know how I'm doing as an individual. And um, there's always that tendency to show off, right? So I, I always have to take a step back. And I said, no, my dad's asking me because he cares for me and he loves me. So... It's okay to show your weaknesses. And I, I did share with him some of the struggles that, you know, I'm going through and some of the things I'm reflecting that I want to do better and sharing with him how many times I cried <laughs> during the ceremonies and, and so on. And then my mother, my mother's more shy. Um, so also as a practitioner, I, I want to be mindful of being the first person also to to share um, how I'm doing and just to be aware, like don't wait for my mom and just to have that, that mindful intuition of how to, to make sure my mother knows that I'm, I'm open. Like, please ask, please know that I'm here to share and I'm here to support you also. And then when I was home, which was for um, five weeks, um, just to, just to see now as a son, what can I do? I'm not here to teach. And as my, my mother was working um, every day, five days a week, and my father um, uh, is still going through some health issue. And so just being mindful of that. And so I wanted to um, cook for my dad at least one meal a day. And then I wanted to do the simple chores around the house and just to honor um, the little things, you know, just cutting the grass because my, my gratitude towards my parents is, is very immense, right? I, I, I was able to tell my dad when I was home and every time I go home, I make sure I say this. It's like, dad, I just want to acknowledge all the sacrifice you made for us because he was um, a child of the war, also my mother of the um, Vietnam War. And his whole life has just been about surviving. My mother's too. Um, just the, the, the thought is like to have food on the table, safety. Um, my dad was even in, um, in high school when, I guess the high school of equivalent to the West, um, he was in a community school and they were being trained at the same time as education, but also collaboration, how to work as members, how to fight, how to... They, they were introduced to guns very early. And my dad used to tell me, and that's why you 
we're so easy to adapt to Plum Village because it's community. Because I grew up in community, I was trained to to not just care for myself, but to care for others also. Um, but then, when the war ended, he he left Vietnam as a boat person, and that's a big gamble. And the first time he was caught and was put in prison for two years, and he never gave up on that dream though, and he went again. And so that big sacrifice and that immense um, journey, which was a lot of fear, anxiety, stress, everything, and now we call and and all, sometimes that manifests, and we call it PTSD today, right? And so I I always want to acknowledge that um, that immense courage he had, and the gratitude I have towards him, and then for my mother too, just for her to allow me to become a monk wasn't easy. And I have to acknowledge the sacrifices she, uh, she made for my whole family, um, for allowing my father to also embark um, to become a monk later on in in their relationship, and then for for me as a son, also to leave home all the way f- um, from Canada to France is that's a big jump. That's not that's, that's not another tempo in Canada. That's like that's a whole flight away. Um, so. Just finding the things to offer gratitude, and I always say like, don't underestimate the simple gesture. I know my mother; she's growing older, so um, she has a lot of tension. So, as one of Thai's attendant, I learned to be—I'm a very good masseuse, <laughs> so I know how to massage really well. So I always can, offer, I, can I book my appointment? Yeah, brother? that will cost you <laughs> dot 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 per hour. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so you know, just to just. Giving my mom a massage every night, if whenever I remember, and 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 I know that brings her so much joy, and and I use that time to have a conversation with my mom, right? So so I I want to be skillful in my connection, and also making sure they have the space, and not always like, mom, talk to me, dad, talk to me. You know, it's just like let's let's be mindful of that too. Thank you, brother. Now we let's talk about the wedding. Your big sister got married, so. I know that normally the monastics wouldn't go to a wedding. I mean, it's not your sort of thing, um, but obviously this was your sister. So that would be, um, obviously you're not going to miss that. So tell us about what was it like to be in that sort of environment and with your sister getting married. And I think you walked her down the aisle. So that is so different an energy from what's normally happening in Plum Village. So, so tell us a little bit about it. Yes, I only have one elder sister, and I told her, "I'm gonna be there for your wedding. Don't worry. Just tell me the dates, and so I can ask um, permission as well as um, match my schedule in Plum Village with with um, the family event." And it was also a very big deal um, for me to be there um, because my dad, like I shared, he's he's having some uh, health issue, and also some. Um, some inner works, childhood, as well as some trauma, um, and 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 very helpful with the dharma. We, we we that as a very beautiful foundation. Um, but for him to be in such a crowd, he felt very uncomfortable. And so me and my sister, we acknowledged that, and my dad already expressed um, um, to wish to not be there, and that was very difficult for my sister. And um, we, uh, she cried, and we talked about it together, and we went through just to put our shoes in our, uh, 
put ourselves in our father's shoes and to just to do the dharma, recognize suffering, acknowledge the root of it, and then seeing that that is not um, the only happiness, right? Because that already gave his blessing. He he supports. He loves uh, my brother-in-law now. He loves his son-in-law. Um, And so I was given the row to walk my sister down the aisle. And I was very honored to do that. And one of our childhood friends, who is my soulmate sister, we became monastics together. But later on, um, conditions weren't favorable anymore. So she uh, left the monastic order. But we have uh, still kept a very close relationship. And she was my sisterhood childhood friend since 1998. They also met in Plum Village. So the Plum Village network is quite amazing. <laughs> and and they've been best friends, best buddies. So she officiated the wedding. And it became almost like, uh, because I walked my sister down the aisle, my, uh, my, my dearest friend held the ceremony, which she used based on Thai's text. Um, to 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 do the ceremony, and there was a very very beautiful um, text that she curated um, based on the four elements of true love, and adding also later on the respect and the trust and the courage to also accept suffering. You know, in the vows, we the I do part is not just like I I I love you forever, but it's also she added, I'm determined to also understand and accept your suffering. Do you do you make that commitment? And each person have to say, "I do." And so we really bring in the Plum Village um, language. And there was another element that she added, um, which she took from the rose ceremony from Plum Village, and that Tai has um, curated, is to honor our parents. So the parents were there for the wedding. So there was a moment when she said, "For us to be here alive in this very moment." We also want to honor our ancestors, and our closest ancestors are our parents. So we prepared roses. So uh, my sister and my brother-in-law, as part of the ceremony, they gave a rose to their father and then a rose to the mother and pinned it on um, the heart, uh, the chest where the heart where the heart is. And that was so beautiful because it's not just, of course, it's about the bride and the groom, but. For them to be here, you have to see all of the wonderful conditions, right? So we uh, we we had this element in the wedding, which made it also very spiritual without real uh, like heavy form, right? Like I I didn't wear my my yellow Sangati ceremony robe or anything like that. I just wore my brown robe every day but I, I did put a little more care I ironed my robe um that I've never had a rope so straight <laughs> <laughs> and um and when I walk my sister down the aisle you know walk walking meditation is a powerful powerful practice that you can carry anywhere and I practiced with my sister the walk before with with one of the songs she chose. But at that moment, I was very aware that there was a lot of emotions going on in my sister. And right before we walked, I I was holding my sister's um, hand and I said, Kwan, breathe together with me. So I guided her through a few mindful in deep and out, deep in breath and slow out breath. And the moment we started walking, I said, now we walk in mindfulness, each step, 
each breath. And that became like the foundation for that moment. And of course, um, um, she, she, she was able to look at all of the loved ones that were there, all of her friends that were there to support. And for me, as a monk and then as a brother, I just wanted to hold my stability so that she can rely on that. So my, I was able to translate my 20 years of practice <laughs> for this one moment for my sister, which I know it meant a lot to her. And so I was able to share that on um, my Instagram story and many friends saw it and they said, wow, even walking meditation can be part of a wedding. And I said, of course, walking meditation can be applied anywhere. And I really encourage all of us to to invest in this practice because it is formless and uh, and nobody needs to know that we are practicing it, but it is there all the time. So, brother, one thing I just want to pick up on is just something you just said, which is you said, my 20 years of practice for this moment. And I, I just want you to talk a little bit more about it, because I think that's so important, because I think one of the things Thich Nhat Hanh used to say is that we practice in the good times to be ready so when we're in a difficult place, that that practice is already embedded in the, in us and therefore we can then hold that space at that time. Whereas if we don't practice, but just, I mean, of course, this was a very happy moment. It wasn't a very sad moment, but uh, but for a moment where you need to be really present. And if you start practicing at that point, it doesn't really work because you haven't built built it up. So can you just tell us a little bit about that mm-hmm. sensing because people we we live in this world where people want sort of instant noodles right we want instant results so okay i'm going through a difficult place uh or i've got i need to be in a certain way so i look up in the book on well-being it says right well breathe and walk slow walk mindfully and but of course it's not like that because we yeah. it's an accumulation of wisdom it's accumulation of presence but yeah tell us a little bit about 20 years of practice for that moment. What, what is that moment? Yeah. And why was the 20 years necessary for it? That moment, I didn't have to use so much of, um, um, so much of uh, self-determination because I have cultivated for so long now so that I can just tap into my mindfulness energy, which I know is always there. And what we, what I know um, for certain is that um, the practice is not um, a one-time thing. It's a continuous journey and it's never too late um, and too early to start the practice because we see the practice as um, a growing and a living um, life energy for us. So, what you just shared is exactly what we have to, um, how we should see the practice. And when I say the practice, it's like the meditations, the the slowing down, the listening to the bell, giving yourself permission to stop. 
um, when you're eating? Do you cultivate gratitude when you're eating? Like all of these little things that we do, the in between that we think doesn't doesn't have um, an impact. Oh, it is the bricks that you create for your foundation. And so, if I was to wait. Until oh my god, I have to walk my sister down the aisle. I'm gonna be as anxious as her, and then at that moment, I'm not I'm not able to support my sister the way I I wished and the way I wanted to. So I want to bring it back to you, Joe, because your summer was also um, you had a you had a big conference you had to go to, and it was a subject that it's not easy to swallow. And I'm sure you had to channel your own practice. So let, let's 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 move away from Brother Fapu a little bit because I want to I want to hear how Joe how you how it was for you and what was your summer like. Wow! So I so just coming back to the the summer retreats in Plum Village, I have to say my experience was a bit the opposite, brother. Which was that I really didn't enjoy it, and I'll tell you why for very very selfish reasons because during the pandemic, uh, I and uh, my partner Paz were were two of the the very few um, outsiders or lay practitioners outside the monastery who were allowed in because we were working together and I'm on the chair of the board of Parallax Press and etc. So actually I had this year and a half of feeling I had the monastics all to myself where actually it was just, you know, it was a chance to really spend deep time to get to know you, to mm. really be part of this community in a very, almost intimate. a very pure and intimate way. Mm. And then saying... 500 people then 700 people and hey i'm still here brother i'm over here your your mind was uh, elsewhere other people's mind was there so i actually found it terrible to admit this but i actually found <laughs> it quite difficult to to share you all again it's like no don't do this to me recognizing jealousy hello <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, that's one thing um yeah no so one of the things i did in the summer was i um I was a co-facilitator of a four-day convening of about 110 of the world's um, experts on civilizational collapse and what's known as the polycrisis. And the polycrisis is, a, is just a word that describes all the many crises in the world that are coming together. So whether it's biodiversity loss, whether it's climate change, whether it's war, whether it's inequality, lack of water, et cetera, et cetera. And this was one of the first meetings where people from around the world who have been looking at this for many decades came together to actually share their practice, share what they're learning, share um, ideas and insights. And, you know, I've been writing, I was writing in The Guardian about in civilizational collapse, including in interviews with Thich Nhat Hanh, where he was saying that unless we have a collective awakening, that we will have a civilizational collapse, that is, this has happened before and it will happen again and that this may be the time that happens. So, so I've been, you know, it's been in my mind and, and I've been aware of it, but there was something different about this, which was, it was four days of sitting with this. And, you know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone. Sometimes people are open. Some people, sometimes people don't want to talk about it. Some people feel it too overwhelming to even contemplate, but just being with so many people where, from breakfast to time go to bed, just looking deeply at um, at the impacts this may have on 
our lives, on the lives of all sort of um, beings on this planet, on on the health of the planet as it is now, um, was just deeply, I, I, I'm trying to think, deeply unsettling, I think is the right word, because it's it's like when we think about something, we can sort of contain it within tight boundaries, but this was in a sense it filled the entire space. Um, and just listening to, you know, the many perspectives of people who have looked at past collapses of civilizations and, you know, that the main constituents of that have often been uh, inequality and overuse of resources. And you think, oh, well, you know, and, and others and, and just all those conditions are present in our current society. Um looking at um, the fact that people were thinking, well, you know, collapse, and of course collapse doesn't happen in a day, it can happen over time and in many different forms because we don't know how crises will show up. But, you know, people were talking about, well, maybe 2040, 2050, we may see, you know, that the, that the institutions and the fabric of the society that in a sense we've thought of as being pretty stable and permanent will start to deeply fray and may even fall apart. Um, and then a lot of these people looking in the world, out in the world, and, and looking at all the signs that are out there now, and saying, well, actually, this may start to really hit home in the next five to ten years. And, um, and you know, this is still, of course, in the, in, in the position of an intellectual thinking. Because then when you take that into the sort of heart space or emotional space or whatever we call it and you say well what does that actually mean and you think well well that actually means you know extraordinary levels of suffering and pain and confusion and um and you know that that you know that we may be heading into very very dark times so so i've, I've been sitting with that and then um at the end of it i came to uh, our house next to Plum Village. Um, and it was 42 degrees. <laughs> and, um, and so having come from this sort of even still an intellectual exercise to uh, coming back to our house and, and looking at the deep stress of the nature around, um, sort of that a lot of our trees, um, the leaves were, were turning yellow and falling off like autumn. And this was sort of um, in mid... In, midsummer and then um i we have a pond in front of our house and that pond i have a particular connection with it i well, as a kid we had a pond um near our house and i used to go up with my net and catch newts or um or frogs or little stickleback fish and 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 so i i had this sort of deep connection to this pond because it was the only real sort of nature near near my house and um and I came back to our pond, which is quite a large, it's a, it's a pretty big pond. It's fed from a natural water source. And it had shrunken to a, a very large sort of puddle. The, the water source had dried up. And, um, and I just felt this deep sense of um, loss, actually, that this pond is full of so much life. Um, you know, it's the, got a koi poo, we got the, all the dragonflies. There's, you know, the, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost the center. It is, it is an ecosystem. And to see it so badly uh, denuded, so, so close to being dried up. And, and, and it was such a, it was a, 
it I just felt in this sort of gut sense of wow this is this is after a week of hot weather um and and what are we looking into mm. so um so so and since then uh, it's been sitting with me brother I've been sort of it's been making me think you know what is the work I want to do where do I want to put my energy um where is the change going to come from how you know and there were some people who were saying at the at this meeting that maybe the collapse needs to come quicker because actually sometimes collapse is needed for renewal and maybe that this system we created is is so extractive is so da- damaging that actually to delay a collapse if a collapse comes is actually means there'll be more damage and maybe it's better to have a quick collapse and and it lead into renewal so and and yes we know sometimes in our own lives we've needed to go through a sort of collapse a personal collapse in order to renew but actually we don't want, we don't wish it for anyone especially on such a global scale so so that's been sort of um really on my mind and Thai's teachings have actually been fundamental in helping me to sit with it to reflect on it and to be able to hold different truths within it brother mm. and um and, and you know that that sense of being able to you know ties all about you know the way out is in you know not to push it aside but to sit with that suffering to recognize it to to allow it to be in me um and also ties teaching of you know when things are at risk when things may be limited when we see that there's a limit to things that it we understand the deep preciousness of it so you know when tai says a a tree you know a tree in the garden dies is yes be sad for the tree and the death of that tree but don't focus on that look at all the other trees yeah that are still there so so to have this ability to that in dark moments to see all the beauty that remains and to and to take refuge in that and and then also brother and I, I one of the deep teachings which i think i may misunderstand but even if i've misunderstood it it's helpful to me which is that maybe we need a, a podcast on this in the future but but tignat hans and buddha's teaching about two dimensions the historical dimension the ultimate dimension that um, the historical dimension is this everyday life we lead so um and the ult- ultimate dimension is actually everything's okay you know everything everything is as it needs to be and um and that it's a light as tai once said in an interview it's like a light shining on itself it it's not about life or death it's beyond those concepts and that's been really helpful to me because and once i interviewed tai about this and he said well you know on the historical level on this day-to-day life we're looking at this pain and suffering on earth and we want to do everything we can mm. you know he said the you know the and it's in the chanting isn't it that that the earth is this precious jewel in the cosmos and we want to do everything we can to save and protect her um and on the ultimate dimension you know we know that everything is impermanent everything arises everything falls that in a few billion years the earth will get too close to the sun and and explode and all the all the sort of um all the matter in the in in our earth or the will spread out in the universe and may create life elsewhere so so everything comes and goes 
and I have this life, and so I have this narrow prism of looking out, and so I I want to protect it. I want everything to be okay, but actually, in the great arc of history, um, this era will pass, and there'll be another era, and not to be so attached, and 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 the ability to hold two truths. So I, I'm deeply attached in the sense I want my children, my family, my friends, my community, Plum Village, the world to to be doing well and to to prosper and also recognizing that it's not in me to control that and and in a sense that allows me to commit to seeking change to to give my full self to the change without the attachment to it's got to be a certain way or the only outcome that's the right outcome is this outcome because i don't know what it is and so so and there're probably many more teachings but it, but it's just recognizing that and in a sense, you were saying this, brother, mm. that in dark times or when people are suffering, that Thai's teachings allow us to see beyond. They allow us to feel deeply, but also to see beyond that, to recognize actually how do we support each other, that we're not alone in this, how to be able to share what we're feeling, how to be able to find refuge in other people. Um, what it is to be held in a Dharma-sharing family, what it is to be held by friends, what it is to be able to to have stability, to recognise what may be coming and not be swept away by it, not to become nihilist because, well, what's the point? We might as well just have a good time. But also to recognise that life is impermanent. We don't know what's going to happen. It can look terrible, but we don't know. So, so uh, that's, a, that's a very sorry, a very long monologue. It's a hot and heavy summer. <laughs> it's a hot and heavy summer. Um, but there's. Can I mention one other sure. short story, brother? Which was um, during the convening, um, we had breakout groups, and I joined uh, one of these breakout groups. And and the facilitator for that small group asked us all to write on a scrap of paper. Just he just said. Um, just write what is the what is the thing you're most seeking to change in the world. Do you know what 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 is the big question you're asking yourself? Um, and I wrote down just without thinking. I wrote a headline. I wrote homecoming, um, collapsing the gap between my the masks and personas and and coming back to my true self, which was in a sense and realizing that you know we've all travelled along way away from our center because of our um, survival instincts, our needs to survive, our environment, our, uh, what we had to do to win friends, all, all, all the conditions that moved us away from our center and how important it is to come back to who we truly are. And, and I went for a walk with the facilitator down to the beach because we were by the sea and we, we stood in the water and he said, let's look at our question. Let's look at what we wrote. And I looked at mine and I suddenly realized it was so limiting because it's great to come back to my true self, but it had three words, my true self. So myself is very, it's like, oh dear, that's, that's very limiting because it's, it's great to collapse my personas, but my true self is not, doesn't exist either. Because actually that suggests I have a separate self and I'm divorced. And I, and I just had this very strong impulse. I just ripped up this little piece of paper into so many little pieces and I just threw them to the wind. And some of them landed on the tunic of the other person. Some of them landed in the water. Some of them 
flew onto the beach. And at that moment, I turned to him and I said, I actually want to come back to life. And, and it was a real realization for me, brother, moving beyond the sense of self to, to Thai's teachings on interbeing, that, I'm, that actually I'm part of life. Life is part of me. And, and to, to, for many years to have thought of, how do I come back to my true self, is a block mm. to connecting more mm. deeply with, with a sort of broader sense of life. So anyway, that, that, that was what was... Um, that's that's part of my son. <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot to uh, to reflect on, and I'm sure you're still reflecting on some of the conversation as well as some of the topics that was brought up. Yeah, yeah. I think what for me um, when I hear you share it, it always comes back to the teachings of interbeing. Right? Is is to to see the darkness and the light, how it supports each other, just like our night and our day. Our night helps us to sleep, to rest, and our day allows us to have action. So the collapse can also, the suffering can be a big motivator for all of us to change our habits, to change our ways. And brother, tell us a, a bit more, you know, just just for our listeners about interbeing in the sense of that sense of um, what it is to drop this distance, to collapse the distance between I am a human being, my name's Joe Confino, I'm this and I'm that, and I believe this, and I'm married to this person, these are my kids, and and actually how we see ourselves as part of the whole what 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 can help us to do that because in a sense i suppose that's what i'm asking isn't it is that was my question how do i go from being more myself to being connected to life so what what was what would you think well that's a big question joe <laughs> i built a career on asking big questions <laughs> and i like to ask the biggest ones to you fapu <laughs> um interbeing is is um it's an insight that can liberate us. And when we say liberate, we always have to ask, what are we liberating from? So in this particular question, it's about the self. And the self is also the foundation for a lot of ignorance because the self is so one-dimensional. We, we, we just, we just, it's me, 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 me. And that allows us to be so greedy, allows us to be so angry, so selfish, so... And a lot of the suffering of today is because of this particular view that I am the most important person. Uh, my family is the most important. And then anything that is to me is important. But how do we break free from that is to see the non-me in all of this. So let's start with... I. I my direct practice this summer was with my own family, right? So it's how do I see already that I am my father and my mother's continuation here and now. 
So when I was home and being able to have these conversations and seeing my mind um, turn towards myself only, because yes, I do have this time to rest and to heal, but then there was a living being that I love very dearly that I have a chance to spend time with. And the tendency is to only care about yourself. And I would um, do things just for me, me, me. And, and I can create um, um, a story. I deserve this. I just did this retreat. I, oh, it's been such a tough year. I can create anything. And then I can totally ignore my dad and my mom. And in that living moment, I have to let go of myself. I have to think about what it means for me to be home with my parents in this moment. I've been away. I left home when I was 13. And I'm sure that there is still moments that my mother and my dad had to deal with the loneliness that I wasn't there. And so I had to just allow myself to be not me and to be there for them. Even though it is the me for them, but it is beyond the me. I don't know if all that makes sense, but that for me is the living practice of interbeing is to be is to give yourself not just the insight but then to let yourself do it and i had some um a particular insight cuz every time i come home i get to learn something more deeply about myself and about my parents i we always say in, in the monastic training when you want to go test yourself go home Especially at Christmas. Especially at Christmas. <laughs> Go home, be, be, be with our family and see how we are able to show up and what we're able to embrace. So when I was home, I started to recognize also the complex of inferiority in my parents because um, my dad, we had a conversation that my dad asked me, you know, um, how is Plum Village and, and what brings you nourishment, etc. And especially about the passing of Tai. And I went into the direction of not staying too much on the, pa on the last few months, but more about, now this is what I, I want to offer. This is where I want to show up. This is where I want to grow as, as a monk and as a human being. And I have some very big aspiration. I have some very big aspiration that I should keep secret because there's a power to that. <laughs> but when I was sharing it to my dad, um, and, and just to be safe, all of this is within the Sangha, within the Plum Village um, path. Um, when my dad heard it, there was, um, there was almost like a, like a questioning, but can my son do this? And it kind of, um, that, that reaction when I was like pouring my heart out, you know, and giving, sharing with my dad, like my biggest aspiration and what gives me energy, what keeps me going. Um, and my dad um, had a moment, it's like, that's great, but can you do it? And that question hit an inferiority complex in me. And, and I, I uttered this this word, <laughs> and it's, it's it talks about the me that you just said. But I'm a human being, so I'm allowed to have this moment. And I and and I say this with um, I'm saying this now, and I'm aware aware that there is self in there. But I, I said to my dad, like just 
it just came out, and I said, "Dad, trust me." I, I I did reflect on this particular conversation, and I started to recognize that the past of my dad, which was my family were from the countryside, were farmers, and throughout their upbringing, which was a lot of suffering, chaos, war, always had had permission to do things, and so suddenly to to have to be in a different space to say that we can do things. In our control, was unimaginable, and so I had this this insight. Whoa, my parents maybe was never allowed to dream bigger than just having um, a family, having food on the table. And I know that this is also a lot of the suffering of today. And um, when when I was in touch with that. I had so much love and so much compassion that manifested in my heart, and so much like I just want to embrace my parents so much more, and 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 then the non the, the the interbeing came very alive, and I said, oh, maybe in this in this lifetime, um, they their biggest um, achievement is giving me the conditions for me to be who I am today. And I want to do this for them, and I want to do this with gratitude. Everything, even this podcast, you know, I um, I share with them about uh, our journey together, and they're so grateful. But they don't understand so much English, so they can't listen to it. Um, and so, just like even when I do this, I think of them, you know. So like this is the non-me moment, and this is also what will protect me from the ego. So if I think about my past. Which is interbeing. Now I want to think about my future. I want to think about all the children that come for the summer retreat, all the teenagers, all the young adults, all of us adults, all of us elders too. Like, how in this moment are we living, so that we can still have a safe environment, a safe space for the next generation? So, when it comes to the interbeing, the present moment is so important because what we are doing now has an impact. And this is how we feel that even as just someone who is a gardener, we we don't go to these big conferences and we we may not speak these words and have this voice. But how we tend our garden, how we show up to our family, how we show up to our children, all of that is an impact for tomorrow. That is interbeing, and. All of our practice in Plum Village, as well as in Buddhism, is to touch right view, <laughs> which we talked about, which is interbeing. That there is, you can't remove um, the world to you. If you remove all that, then you're nothing. That is that is interbeing. And brother, just just um, to finish off, I. I You know, as you were speaking, I, I don't know why, but an image of a CEO of a big company came to my mind, and and that person's success is based on on everything else. You know, that person could not succeed without their parents, without their teams, without the products, without the environment that they might be destroying to be successful. But they. Rely on that. They rely on the clean air. They rely on access to water. They, even though 
they might be this uh, sort of, you know, billionaire CEO that actually they couldn't be successful in their in the way they see success without everything else existing and supporting them. And so this idea that it's that we are the success, we are, you know, it's because of us is is just such it's just <laughs> it's hard to, you know, when you actually see into being, yeah. It's just madness. Yeah. It's egoic madness. Yeah. And if anything, it just makes us want to love more, want to understand more, and want to build more community so that we can support each other. Whoa. Well, um, maybe we should stop there, brother. But yes. um, uh, we're now back in harness. We're on, back on our horses. We're riding again. Um, and um, we finish off, or we tend to finish off each episode with, um, with a short um, meditation. So, brother, are you uh, up for... Settling us, bringing us back to um, centre, helping us to recognise our interbeing nature. Dear listeners, dear friends, wherever you may be, if you are going for a jog, going for a walk, cleaning your home, or on a commute to work, just allow yourself to be still. You can stand, you can sit, or you can even lay down. And just allow yourself to rest, to sink into your body. And now just bring your attention to your breath. As you breathe in, know you breathe in. As you breathe out, know you breathe out. You cannot be here without this air. So breathe in deeply. And breathe out slowly. In and out. In this moment, we can feel the connection we have to life around us. We may like to pay attention to the air or the sound of the birds or the people walking by. Just knowing that life is around us and we cannot be here without that life. Breathing in, I'm aware of life around me. Breathing out, I'm in touch with life inside of me. I smile to life in me and all around me. Breathing in, I offer my gratitude to my Father. Thank you, Father, for all your hardship, all your courage. You did everything you can in the best condition that you had. Breathing out, I am my Father's continuation. Embracing the Father in me tenderly, compassion, continuation. 
Breathing in, I recognize my mother in me. I'm grateful to my mother. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for feeding me, for teaching me how to love. Even if that love was shallow, but that love was always there as a mother. Breathing out how grateful I am for this life. I continue you, my mother. In mother out gratitude. Breathing in. I'm grateful to my spiritual teachers who taught me how to love, how to understand, how to be patient. Breathing out, I smile to all their teachings. In my teacher, out grateful. Breathing in, I'm grateful to the trees for offering me shade, offering me fruits, offering me flowers. Breathing out, I'm inspired to protect and to plant trees, to nourish this earth. Breathing in through the breath, connecting to all the trees, breathing out, loving, caring, and having moderation in my consumption. Breathing in, I'm in touch with the conditions to allow me to be here. Smiling to the hardship. Also grateful for all the love and support. Breathing out, I feel so full. Thank you to all of the mud, all of the lotus. I am who I am and I'm ever growing. Breathing in, smile to life in me. Breathing out, smile to life all around me. In breath, out breath. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this podcast. Yes, um, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we hope that your summer has given you 
um, an opportunity to reflect, gain insights and deepen your own understanding. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find many others. You can find The Way Out is in on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on other platforms that carry podcasts and also on our very own Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donor of the Tikkinghan Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org/donate. And we would also like to send our appreciation and thanks to Global Optimism, which co-produces this podcast series. The way out is in. Oh.